0: This Sunday morning uh, to worship God and remember umbrella Jesus Christ together. We're going to begin uh, by singing two songs of worship. The first is a call to worship. Come, now is the time to worship. Now is the time to give your heart, just as you are to worship the voice we raise. And uh, we're going to sing that primarily because that third line, By all thy works adored. Because this morning we're going to think a little bit about how God works and how we understand that in our lives. Um, So that is the reason for choosing to sing Infinite God. Infinite God, to thee our voice we raise, and with our voice our heart in song of praise. By all thy works adored, we worship thee, the Lord. Receive our homage, God of endless days. Father God, we join together in a claim of you, our Father, and of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We know your works, Father. We know they're works of love, that through human history you've reached out and touched human hearts, changed us, saved us, and lifted us. And Lord Jesus, in you we see your Father's heart in every action. And in every word, and we praise you for that. Amen. Um, I don't think we have any visitors. I've been scurrying around and um, getting jobs do- done, but I don't think we've got any visitors. But if I've missed anyone, it's great to see you. Um, in terms of care announcements, I've got uh, two items. Malcolm is expecting his test results this Wednesday, so we thank you, Malcolm, uh, on that day. And Sister Eunice Thomas from Macclesfield's funeral... We have more details of that. It's going to happen this Wednesday and it starts at 20 past three at Macclesfield Crematorium and then there'll be refreshments afterwards at Macclesfield's Hall. Does anyone else have any care news that they'd like to um, share between us? So we'll um, bow our heads and pray together and I'll leave space for your own thoughts and prayers. Father God, it's a great privilege to come before you and pray to talk with you and to share our lives. And Lord, it's even more special when we join together as a family, called by you for children in your name, brothers and sisters, and joining our hearts together for people we care about and even people we haven't met who our hearts go out to. We think of Nikki's neighbour who has terminal cancer, and we pray that um, they will see in Nikki your hands of love. Father, we thank you for Sam's new start at school and the fact that that's gone well. We think of Malcolm, and this week he gets results of some tests he recently had. We think of the family of Eunice as they um, mourn her her loss. We think of John in far-off places, and a life that we can't really imagine. And we think of our brothers and sisters in Russia, Father. The privilege we have of being able to meet together in peace and quiet, and no one telling us that we can't. Lord, we often take that for granted. But when we hear of other brothers and sisters who just simply want to serve you, yet the laws of their country... Make that so hard. Our hearts go out, Father. Lord, hear the prayers of all of our hearts. Thank you, Father. Amen. So this morning, like I said, I'd like us to think a little bit about how God works. Sometimes it's tempting to replace an ambiguous question with another ambiguous answer. So, how does God work? He works by a Spirit. Oh, okay, what's, what's his spirit? Well, it's his power at work. <laughs> and round and round you go in these circles. Um, I struggle with stuff like that because I, I, I feel like I have to have a tangible framework in my mind to just try and piece things together. And if that framework's wrong, at least I can cling to it and, and try and, and grasp it. So I'd like us to think about how God works. And when you think about that as a statement, it seems like a stupidly arrogant thing to say, This morning we're going to talk about how God works. The great power that brought everything into being we're going to try and uh, work work out. But I think it's something that we all do because we all want to know the answer, don't we? Because we believe God works in our lives. And that is so precious to us. It's so important. We couldn't live without it. So we want to grasp something of, of how this happens. And more importantly, God actually invites us humbly to try and come to an understanding of him. Paul prays, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. So in all humility, that's what we're doing this morning. I suppose the first thing to establish is, is actually God working? Because there are ideas out there which go under the technical umbrella of a deist theology which say something like God set things in motion and then just let it run and has, has no um, further input into the way creation unfolds. You, I suppose if you wanted to, to find a scriptural support for that, you might say, well, in day seven of creation, God rested, so, so that's it. But I think we can quickly dispense with that notion because um, Jesus is unequivocal. John 5, verse 17, he says, My Father is always at work this very day. And I, too, am working. So we're going to leave, park all those deist ideas and not spend any more time on them and focus on how does God actually work. And I'm going to start by ruining a song that we sing regularly, (laughs) or at least using it as a a jumping off point. In the song from the highest of heights or indescribable, uh, we sing the words, Who has told every lightning bolt where it should go? Okay, so if you want to put this in a category, this is God as the micromanager. Every single lightning bolt is directed to its uh, end destination. That is something I struggle with. I don't know about you if, you if that's something that sits easy with you or you struggle with it. You, you can be quite flippant about it and uh, say well, these particular six fish are fish being zapped by those lightning bolts which God has directed to the, their end point. But actually there's quite a serious connotation to this. I don't know the figures for the UK, but in, in the United States, 50 people every year are killed by lightning strikes. So if God directs every lightning bolt where it should go, then they are basically executions uh, by God. That would be the logical uh, conclusion of that. And that's, that's, like I say, a big problem for me. So let's explore a bit more where the idea comes from. And it does come from the Bible. Uh, we're going to go to Job chapter 36, if you'd like to turn there chapter 36 and just verse 32 where it says he fills his hands with lightning and commands it to strike the mark so there you can say that that song is very biblical it takes a biblical sentiment and puts into the song what's the problem with that well it's a classic example of taking a verse completely out of its context and, and setting it in, as an individuality. It's from the book of Job. And the book of Job, uh, whilst it may be um, based on real events, is certainly written as a drama. You have these big monologues where different people come and make their argument. And the whole book is about how, how God works, really. And different people have different opinions. So this one verse we've hit upon is the opinion of one of those characters in this drama. And that's, that's an important contextual thing to realise, I think. It's not written as an absolute truth, so to speak. It's written as part of a dialogue which, which we are to think about and to, and to weigh up and consider. And the other thing about that is when something is in a, as part of a dialogue, in part of a play, then things are said to try and uh, rhetoric, to try and convince you of the argument that they're, they're saying. So... Um, here's an example for you. It's Patrick Stewart in uh, Shakespeare's uh, Richard II. This
1: royal throne of kings, this sceptred isle, this earth of majesty, this seat of Mars, this other Eden me paradise this fortress built by nature for herself against infection and the hand of war, this happy breed of men, this little world <laughs> This precious stone set in the silver sea which serves it in the office of a wall or as a moat defensive to a house against the envy of less happier lands. This blessed plot, this earth, this realm, this England. This land of such dear souls. This dear dear land is now leased out. I die pronouncing it like to a tenement or a pelting farm. England bound in with the triumphant sea is now bound in with shame
0: I realise anything I say now is going to sound completely inadequate after listening to Patrick Stewart um, play Shakespeare but that's a situation where his character is mourning the demise of England and he says such things about the land as a fortress built by nature for herself against infection and the hand of war Or a precious stone set in the silver sea which serves it in the office of a wall. Beautiful language, but not actually true in a way, but there to convey what he's feeling about about the subject. And I think in the same way, these these monologues in Job can be seen as persuasive arguments to try and make us think in different ways about the way um, God works. But when God actually speaks, if if you want to flick on a few chapters... I think it starts in, in, in chapter 38, you can glance it and it's just really a series of questions from God to everyone else in this drama. Questions like, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Who marked off its dimensions? Who stretched? And it goes on and on, basically asking question after question after question. And the, the end consequence of that is you're really left thinking, we really don't know, do we? We really don't know. We try and put things in a box, um, but to do that is to deny the ultimate power of God. And so Job concludes in chapter 42. At the end of all this, Job replies to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Job is coming to the conclusion that in some sense that he just needs to keep quiet, not listen to other, um, other friends who had their, their um, answers, and just keep quiet and listen to God. And I acknowledge that um, deep down, we can't understand everything. So we do have a better song, and we're going to sing it a bit later on. Who can know the mind of our creator? And there's a, there's, there are a few lines in there which you, you might think, oh, is it not the same the same thing where it talks about um, who conducts the waves across the sea? I'm much happy with that because it's a much more magisterial um, view of God, who, who is powerful over all creation rather than who directs every tsunami where it should go, if you like. I think there's a, there's a, a subtle distinction so, the image that I find a bit more helpful is of, of God the Shaper, not God the micromanager, but of God the Shaper. I'm going to look at uh, Jeremiah 18 just to see where that comes from. I'd like to turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. So, Jeremiah chapter 18 and the first six verses we're going to read. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord Go down to the potter's house. And there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as best seemed to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you, as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my, so you are in my hand." O house of Israel. I love this image because all the problems which I see with God, the micromanager, are resolved by God, the shaper. So in this analogy, the wheel which is spinning is, if you like, the fact that the world we live in follows laws. It just follows laws if one thing happens to another. So an apple gradually grows and grows and grows till its weight is too great for the stalk. So the stalk breaks and gravity takes the apple down. And the seed goes into the ground. Just clockwork laws which happen throughout life. And there's two things which can influence those laws. One is human will and our own actions. And the other is God's divine will and power and his hand. And because God's power is ultimately infinitely greater than human action, the final pot is shaped by God himself this landscape is happening all around us. But there's a crucial difference between this picture and the micromanager image. Let me take an example from history just to illustrate that. There's no doubt that the Holocaust, in its horror and scale and tragedy and vileness, made the form of the nation of Israel just three years later all the more miraculous. The fact that Israel could go from six million of the number being murdered to forming a nation is miraculous. And Ezekiel's prophecy of the dry bones coming to life is an incredible, incredibly apt picture written centuries, thousands of years beforehand. But let's put the two models of how God works onto that. If God is the micromanager, then the Holocaust is his work. The Holocaust was set up by God. That's God, the micromanager, who has told every gas chamber how it should be filled, if you like. But alternatively, God, God the shaper takes the horrific actions of human beings and molds them incredibly to something glorious. I think I know which, uh, which picture I prefer in that There is a frustration in seeing God as the shaper and that is that we all want to see God's handiwork in action. And I think if God was the micromanager, we'd probably see that more obviously because everything would be his hand and we'd be able to see it more dramatically. But God the shaper is more subtle. It requires more trust. It requires more faith. And we wish it could always be like light Um, fire coming down from heaven or red seas parting but God doesn't work like that at least not in my life but if you're thinking along those lines the good news is, well, you're not the first I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah and Rose is going to read for us Isaiah chapter 64 thank you and the first nine verses
2: Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains would tremble before you As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags, We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind in our sins, sorry, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people.
0: Thank you, Rosie. So, Isaiah presents people who are lost. They're kind of lost in their own sin, but they're turning back to God and they're seeking reassurance. And they, like us, are looking for that dramatic occurrence from God. They're asking for him to do some of the awesome things that he used to do before. And we all feel like that at times. I'm sure we do. But the implication of of that is that if God's not doing those kinds of things, then he's not working. And that's not true. God is always working. But he's the shaper. The shaper doesn't deny that God... Can and does act miraculously and obviously in the world, but that is not the usual way God works. Usually, God is working subtly to bring about and shape His purpose. So these people were were looking for reassurance. They said, "Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins, and forget forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all Your people." They were people who were living in hope that God would act and hope does not disappoint for while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, at just the right time Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die but God shows his love for us in this that while we were still sinners Christ died for us And in that moment, God did rend the heavens. He did tear things down. He tore the curtain. He darkened the skies. The great shaper carved into the clay a line that would last forever that said, this is my son. And we're going to remember him now. Before we do, we're going to sing two songs together. Who can know the mind of our creator Who can speak of wonders yet unseen? Who can reach the height of understanding to play the notes of wisdom's melody? We stand in awe of God. Acted from heaven and gave us his son. Darkened the skies, tore the curtain, and said that this is my son. Father God, Lord, you have all of us in your hands. We are like clay, been shaped and molded by you. But Father, if we were to go around and ask each one of us what the biggest influences in our lives, I think it would be this, that you gave your only Son our Lord Jesus Christ, to rescue us and save us from our sins. We cried out, Father, and asked for something awesome and you gave it. But not in fire and brimstone or lightning or hail, but in the humiliating death of your Son. Thank you, Father. Amen.
3: Before there was anything, Claude, you got out your potter's wheel and shaped the earth and the stars, the universe that we know, and who knows what else. You didn't just create it, you created it and cared for it and continue to shape it and mold it. And now Lord, you are actively engaged in shaping a people for your name. A living temple built out of living stones to give praise and glory and honor to you. And the cornerstone of that is your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's because of what he did that we see all of these things in the light of mercy, in the light of love. And hopefully through that, Lord, it shapes and moulds our hearts to turn to you and to give you thanks and glory and praise. We thank you that this wine reminds us that you and we have a relationship Lord, we thank you for that relationship and pray that together we may build that and make it stronger and draw closer to you in everything we do. Amen.
4: And we know that in all things God works for the good of of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died... Sorry... Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
0: Thank you, Pauline. I said right at the beginning that uh, we need to be very humble when thinking about these things, and, and certainly that is the message of Job, that we need to be very humble. And it's good to talk about it amongst ourselves, so I'd be very grateful for you to talk to me about your opinions on this and and what you think about uh, this topic afterwards. It's probably very simplistic to put things into categories of God the micromanager versus God the shaper. But for me, it's how I think, so I have to do that. And it makes a big difference to me on a whole load of topics. If you compare God the micromanager versus God the shaper... Then issues to do with uh, suffering, to do with science. It has a big bearing, and for me, always, God the Shaper is the image that wins, that, that seems to make most sense to me. But there's one other area which we is so important, which we haven't mentioned yet. And that is, uh, it starts off in this chapter, passage that uh, Perlene read for us. It talks about God in all things working for the good of those who those who love him. And then in verse 29 it says, those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. When I first talked about the potter's wheel and I talked about human will and God's will, I was talking about it in the sense of them being at loggerheads and God's will eventually wins. But that's not always the case, is it? If we trust in God, if we choose God's way, then rather than being at loggerheads, we start to work in partnership. And God works in partnership with his creation. That's what is being got, at, I think, here in Romans, but it comes through elsewhere, for example, Ephesians 2, verse 10. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And Colossians 1, verse 29, Paul speaking personally. To this end I... Sh- I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. God's will and our will is not necessarily at loggerheads, but God works in partnership. And it's that partnership which develops us. It's that partnership which changes us. And development has something which has been um, well studied, and it goes through different processes. Um, and you start off being a, a complete novice then you gradually get confident and competent, and then you gradually develop on from that. An example from cooking. You start off, you have to learn how, to, how the oven works, where the, where the ingredients are, what's keeping the fridge, etc., very basic things. And then you start to do some recipes, and you follow the rules, the letter. Two eggs... X ounce of flour, everything's got to be done absolutely to the recipe. You don't deviate from that, you don't contradict it because you've got to stick to the recipe. But then once you go beyond that, then you start to deviate, you create things, you try new flavors. You don't judge things based on the individual recipe, but you go by eye and know that's what it should be like, so that's that's right. And that same development should be seen in us if God is working in partnership with us. It can be seen in the Bible, and we should see it in ourselves. I should be different now than I was five years ago and 10 years ago. There should be things in my life that I look back and cringe at, and there are plenty of those. (laughs) Like the time I tried to sing, I Shot the Sheriff at Karaoke. (laughs) That is the hardest song in the world to sing. But there should be things we think back and think, no, that's not right, what I did there was wrong. Now, I would do that differently. And rather than looking back and thinking, oh no, what did I do? We should be grateful and thankful because God is working in partnership with us uh, to change us. So one last passage to finish off with from Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked generation and a depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. We we'll conclude by singing two songs together. First, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. So we're going to close in prayer through Mark now. Thank you.
5: Our Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Charles. Thank you for your word and for your presence with us. That You've led us to think about how you work. Father, it's something I think about regularly. The micromanager who seems to fail to answer the prayers or doesn't answer them in the way I want and the little things in life that you want to happen just don't seem to happen. And then other times one prays and the small things seem to occur and it seems to be as if it is God at work And so, Father, you take the blame maybe when it's not your fault and you receive praise for things which were just there and were part of the waves of life. Father, one thing we know we can have confidence in is that your will, your work, is with us, is to build and develop us before you to help us grow in you and for you to grow within us. Father, help us this week to find that time to find the desire to make that space to dwell with you to work with you to let you live and breathe and be in our hearts, to just draw near and be with you. That only by drawing closer to you in thought, in prayer, in reading, in talking with others about you, can we hope to understand you that bit more and to understand what is your good and perfect will. Father, help us to continue in our faith with you when the way you seem to work in our lives doesn't meet with the expectations that we have for you. Help us, Father, to understand that you love us and you care for us. Whatever the world may throw at us. Amen.